welcome in Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff. Matt, we were just saying, uh, talking about the uh, Golden Goal, and welcome to Sports 1440. First, thanks for coming on. Oh, Kevin, thanks for having me, and thanks for the nice uh, trip down memory lane. Yeah. Certainly a where-were-you type of moment, wasn't it? Yeah, so kind of, I just asked the Duke where he was, so where were you, and what do you remember about 14 years ago today? Oh, my goodness, what don't I remember? <laughs> uh, I was at the James Joyce Pub in downtown Toronto. Oh, I had a friend who went to the bathroom during overtime, and I was furious. I yelled at him. I said, how dare you go to the bathroom during overtime? During the aftermath, there were people pouring beer from balconies uh, down onto the street and people were running underneath catching sips uh, in their mouths. So it looked like Bourbon Street in New Orleans <laughs> down there. And I do remember seeing a stranger, a complete stranger, a, a big, big guy, and I just pointed at him, I ran at him, and he just knew what to do. He caught me in a hug and just spun me like we were a figure skating duo. So, yes, it, it, long story short, I remember a lot about that day. <laughs> did, did your buddy see it or was he in the bathroom still? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he made it out. Luckily, luckily, cause I, I, if I remember correctly, the goal, it wasn't right at the start of OT. Yeah. At least uh, there was enough time for my friend Sean to make it out, so I, I forgave him. I think, yeah, the goal was with about just over 12 minutes left in, in overtime. So, But, I mean, everyone, yeah, I, well, you know, pins and needles. I mean, you're watching it like every little, as soon as the, you get the puck out of your own end, everyone exhales. As soon as you get it in, you think you got a scoring chance. That's how it was. It was just, ugh. Still gives you chills. It really does. And I, I remember uh, on the American side, Zach Parise terrified me. Because uh, it's fun, right? Mm. When you're a reporter, you, when it's international, you can sort of put your concern about biases aside. You're allowed to be a fan of your own country, I think. It's a little different. And, uh, you know, so I had a rooted interest in, yeah. in Canada. But I remember being terrified of Zach Parise, maybe the best I've ever seen him play. Well, he was a great player. And uh, you think about... You know, you go back to 98, and that's the thing everyone was talking. You know, you, you're, you're looking 98, but then Salt Lake was obviously great. And uh, in Italy, it didn't work out. And, you know, Canada hosting, and Vancouver was going bananas. The whole city was, well, the whole country was bursting at the seams, but Vancouver was just just absolutely, absolutely crazy. Uh, were, you, were you at the Leafs-Vegas uh, game last night? I was, sir, yeah. Yeah. So w- what did you make of uh, what you saw? Uh, Leafs had a good run going, but uh, Vegas uh, wins at 6-2. to two. What did you make of the game? Yeah, I, I did call this one as a, as a classic trap game setup. I did tweet before. I said, hammer that bet on Vegas. Uh, Leafs riding that high, seven-game winning streak, uh, facing a depleted Golden Knights team without Jack Eichel and Mark Stone, and, and the Leafs had beaten that Vegas team pretty badly. It just felt like, the classic setup of, you know, dog days of winter, late February, and you're hot, you just beat this team, you look past them, and I think that's what happened. I thought it was a bit of a sleepy effort by the Leafs, and uh, I expected them to lose that game. Matt Larkin with us uh, from the Daily Faceoff on uh, the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Um, in particular, what did you think of uh, just the, the, the play of the Leafs kind of stars last night and they were a little bit off it seemed or or was it just one of the, again one of those games where you know you come back after a trip pretty successful and 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 things like that but what did you make i guess the higher end players of the leafs yeah i thought it was a bit of a quiet night um what i saw i call them hero passes so it, it, to me and i also said that these are the kind of types of plays you see in late february i thought a lot of the leafs top players were just attempting those long kind of lazy cross-ice passes trying to thread a needle and rather than just moving their feet and getting to the net hard. And that just to me is a sign of fatigue and just kind of settling into 
this phase of the season where you're starting to think, okay, our playoff spot's looking pretty comfortable, mm-hmm. and you just, you just get caught looking ahead. I, I think the Leafs, their new second line of Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi and Willie Nylander was probably the best out there. They've been the most noticeable for the last couple games. But overall, uh, I don't think it was the best night for the Matthews-Marner line. I, I don't think it was John Tavares' best night either. I thought he made a few uncharacteristic uh, turnovers. And uh, it's kind of weird. It's a weird feeling to see him on the third line. But it sort of feels like it wouldn't be the worst idea if you can spread out your talent. Mm-hmm. A lot of the best cup contenders, they really do roll three legitimate lines. Hey, Matt, what do you think of Detroit now? So the, the Wings with six wins in a row, just two points back are the Leafs who have a game in hand. But do you think that this... I guess, third spot, if you want to call it that, in the Atlantic, uh, as long as uh, Florida and Boston continue to take care of business. Is this third spot in the Atlantic up for grabs uh, all the way down the stretch? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked me, Kevin, because I was talking about Detroit uh, last night at the game, just to whoever would listen, and they're a really confounding team to me. Uh, I'm not very threatened by this team, uh, and I wouldn't be. this would be the team I would be wanting to play if I was anyone else in the East, because if you look at the metrics of Detroit, the advanced metrics, they are in line with teams like Chicago and San Jose. The Red Wings at five on five are one of the worst teams in the entire league. They bleed scoring chances. They don't generate very many scoring chances. They're just not actually that good of a team. And I don't really understand how they're winning these games. I think obviously their skill level is higher than, than it's been uh, at any other point in the Eisman era. He's added a lot of veteran talents. So I get that they're a competitive team and it does feel like they're going to make the playoffs, but I truly believe they're not as good as their record, and eventually just their tendencies are going to come back to bite them. They're mm-hmm. just a team that the puck's in the other team's end most of the time. I don't understand how Detroit's winning this many games. You know, their goal differential is quite similar to the Leafs uh, when you look at it. Sometimes, you know, and I watched Detroit here quite closely, and they gave up a, you know, they could have beaten the Oilers quite easily. They had several chances in the second period when they came in here, and the Oilers wiped them out in the third period. But it's almost like Detroit, if they are are humming and they are creating opportunities, they are a team that is right at the highest of the uh, top of the heap. But on the opposite, I agree with you. When teams are in their end, I don't think it's almost like they're they're one of the lowest teams at the bottom of the pile. They're a tough team to figure out. You're right. Yeah, they are. And often those teams are, are boosted by goaltending. And we've seen, you know, Alex Lyon, of course, has been on a bit of a heater for much of the season. So I think that's been a key factor in in their success. But the question is, is it sustainable? It's really hard to say. And yeah, it, it, among those bubble teams in the East, a lot of them are flawed. And that includes the Leafs. I think the Leafs are at least, they're, they're great at generating chances. They give up a lot of chances as well. They've mm-hmm. progressed a lot defensively. But Detroit really confuses me because they're not particularly good at either. They're not even generating much offense at 5-on-5, five five, but the pucks are just going in. So to me, I feel like they're getting a nice surge of, of luck in their favor, and that's not necessarily a sustainable model. Matt Larkin, Daily Faceoff, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Well, I guess we're nine days away to the trade deadline. Uh, Matt, do you, do you think more things will happen at the very end on, you know, like Thursday, Friday of next week? Or are we going to see a little bit of movement here creeping into the weekend? It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Because last year we were kind of spoiled. We had the Tarasenko trade a few weeks out. We had Ryan O'Reilly. We had Bo Horvat early as well. So this year it seems like everything's going to be condemned during this home stretch, aside from the two trades that happened uh, to start with Lincoln and Ronahan. So it is shaping up to be, I think, a busier actual deadline day. Uh, but again, we're still nine days up. I can change. But that said, I do 
going to see some movement in the next couple of days, just out of desperation, mm-hmm. especially in the Western Conference. You look at, A, the Vegas Golden Knights. They're always an aggressive team. You have Mark Stone out now. You still have Jack Eichel out. Mark Stone probably going to get shifted over to LTIR, especially if Eichel comes off. So we know Vegas is going to have a lot of money to play with. They're going to be a team I think we can expect to chase one of the higher-end forwards, whether it's Jake Gensel, Pavel Buknevich. And the other team that I think suddenly is a player to watch uh, the Los Angeles Kings, because it sounds like Adrian Kempe, a really important part of their top six forward group, yeah. could be going on long-term injured reserve as well. And this is a team that cannot miss the playoffs. I think their expectations are too high after that Pierre-Luc Dubois trade in the summer. They're supposed to be improving, not regressing. And I expect Rob Blake to get aggressive and search for a marquee replacement if he thinks it's going to be without Adrian Kempe for the foreseeable future. So I think those injuries, those mm-hmm. two teams could be the teams that sort of uh, get those dominoes moving. And I wouldn't be surprised to see movement in the next couple of days. Do you think Pavel Buchnevich has a really good shot out of leaving St. Louis? Do you think teams are really, really interested in him despite 5'8 uh, on his contract next year? I think so, yes. And you're giving me a chance for a free plug. I there you go. The story. <laughs> uh, this morning on Daily Faceoff, six teams to look at as possible suitors for Pavel Buchnevich. And I do think that there will be plenty of offers for him because if you compare him, compare him, let's say, to Jake Gensel, who is, I think, the consensus top forward available, do you want to go for Gensel or do you want that extra year that you get with Buknevich, which is kind of nice, right? You get a two-year rental and 5.8, you know, it's, it's a reasonable price tag, but I think he's justified that price. I think he's been more like a 7 or $8 million player uh, in the last few years, years of St. Louis. If you look at his points per game, he's right about a point per game. He's ahead of guys like... Mark Scheifele or Bad Marchand. So I think Bugnevich is one of the more underrated forwards in the league. And just given how kind of dry the market is, there aren't too many impact players out there. Uh, if I were a contender, I would be kicking the tires on Bugnevich. Mm-hmm. Matt Larkin, Daily Faceoff, our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, Matt, in the last little while, you guys have had uh, yourself and and, uh, and Stephen Ellis have kind of looked at projections for next year's Four Nations Cup. Uh, you know, and I can't remember if you had him on or Stephen had him on on the Canadian roster, Darnell Nurse. Uh, as a somewhere in the seven ranked defenseman kind of thing. Uh, just your thoughts on that and uh, just clarify for that for, for me and our listeners because I, I wasn't sure if it was you or Stephen that had him on his projected roster. Yes, it was me. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was trying to break some ties. So if you look at Canada, obviously their forward group is going to be elite. And their decor to me is a little bit more in flux. So I think you keep that top pair of Devontae's and Kale McCarr. You just carry them right over from Colorado. I think Noah Dobson has really forced the issue, and now he's very much in the mix. I think Evan Bouchard as well. But uh, other than that, I think there are many different ways you could go. Maybe Shea Theodore, if he's healthy, Josh Morrissey, even someone like Thomas Harley is really starting yeah. to look good. And again, a year from now, the Four Nations face-off, you never know if he's suddenly in the mix. You have Morgan Riley. But I really like to visualize it. I think it's a really fun exercise. So mm-hmm. I'm really picturing the games, and I thought, oh, looking at this group, I need a little more snarl. I need someone to keep people honest if they're cruising to the front of the net. And to me, that's how I break that tie. Darnell Nurse, I think you could easily make a case for someone else, but um, I just wanted some more physicality. So that's why I have him. I had him on my third pair. Right. And and some guys like uh, Drew Doughty, Alex Petrangelo, and we were talking about this off the top, just maybe, you know, advancing a little bit in years and a lot, a lot of miles on the tires too. 
Exactly, right? So I think it's time you're going to see some turnover, especially when you're looking ahead an extra year. And that same the same thing applies to even a player like Steven Stamkos. Could he be sur- surpassed by mm-hmm. someone else between now and then? And on the American side, I actually left Patrick Kane and Joe Pavelski off my team because there are just too many young players emerging. It's, it's a young man's game. And I, I do agree that there are certain names that were stalwarts for so long that might be on the outs especially a year from now, and then also looking ahead two years to the yeah. Olympics. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating, um, you know, mathematical equation when you look at everybody. Would you put Connor McDavid and uh, Nathan McKinnon on the same line? I would. I just want to see it happen, <laughs> yes. you know? Yes. So I did have them in my projected roster. I had Zach Hyman on the first line as well, just to keep that chemistry going. And then I had Nathan McKinnon on the right wing, because Canada has such an embarrassment of riches at center anyways. It's not like you need McKinnon winning face-offs, that kind of thing. I think you can unleash him, and just the speed you can have out there. I just want to see it once in my lifetime, those two (laughs) making some sweet magic in a best-on-best event. Yeah, it would be, don't blink, how's that sound? Exactly. And I, I know we're not going to get to see a three-on-three, but just, I, I'm just envisioning. Imagine the two of them kill McCarr yeah. on the ice together. It'd pretty, be, pretty yeah, bizarro world. What's, uh, what's shaking on daily face-off here in the next little bit? I assume that you and, uh, and Frank and, and uh, Stephen will be kind of focusing on the next nine days trade deadline stuff. Yes, precisely. So we are, I think now we're 51 days into our 60-day countdowns. For the second year in a row, we were promising at least one feature every day that's completely trade deadline focused. We're keeping that going. So right now we have a look at Buknevich on the site. Tomorrow we're going to have an updated list, list uh, the trade targets board, everyone's favorite from Frank. So we're going to keep that coverage going and, of course, keeping tabs on everything else that's happening in the league. Yeah, like Frank should really do something. He's not doing enough or he's not busy, is he? <laughs> I don't know how he sleeps. I guess he doesn't. Just, I don't know. Honest, he doesn't, doesn't at this you know, time of year. That's right. <laughs> and even like with the time, you know, like the, the time zone change and there'll be a late game out here. And I'll say, you know, when he comes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, he comes on every every Tuesday, Thursday, day 28. Hey, Frank, did you watch, uh, you know, I mean, was the, uh, I think it was an eight. 40 start here the, with with Chicago uh, with Boston sorry 840 start oh no I, I was up I was watching it yeah like <laughs> it's just insane yeah. Yeah. I think he just sleeps with a giant wall like a video board <laughs> where he just can see all like a, like some kind of super villain I, yeah, I don't yeah. know I don't know how he does it. yeah he has a he's got a big staff he's got like everyone brings in the Coles notes version to him in the morning and say this is what happened so there's got to be an explanation for it. I don't know. How, it's it's an amazing talent he has for yeah. just seeing all. It's true. Exactly. Hey, Matt. Thanks for uh, f- thanks for this. We'll be keeping an eye on things in the next eight nine days because it should be quite busy here on the NHL front. Thanks for this. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin.